Hello, and welcome to the Harrisburg Brethren in Christ sermon series. Hola, bienvenidos a Harrisburg Hermanos en Cristo, where our vision is to be a thriving, diverse urban church, sharing Christ's love and serving the needs of our local and global communities. Here's an example of what you'll hear. If God was powerful enough to raise Jesus from the dead, he's powerful enough to break these chains of addiction on me. He's powerful enough to break the generational curses in my family. He is powerful enough to stop the senseless violence in Harrisburg. I'm telling you this morning the incredible truth that Jesus Christ is crazy about you. Helping each other to experience God's love, God's power, God's healing. Helping to change one another's lives. Church can continue to be a place, or church can continue to become a people, my people. Let's pray. And now, here's this week's sermon. I hope that it speaks to your heart. It was um, such a great, great trip. Um, Hopefully you do come out to the Ice Cream Social. You'll be able to interact and ask more questions. Um, Yeah, but it was probably the hardest trip I think I've led. Um, it was a very, very heavy trip, but God was with us through it all, and I, we, we felt your prayers each day because we needed it. Um, there's nothing more exciting than trying to get a bunch of teenagers and young adults up at 6 a.m. to go and serve all day till 9 p.m., but they did it, and um, I think it was because God's good and your prayers were faithful. <laughs> um, this morning, um, I want to tell a little story. My grandpa, my grandpa used to always say, um, make sure your belly is full before you ever go to another man's house to eat. Make sure your belly is full before you ever go to another man's house to eat. Grandpa would say this to anyone who had ears to hear. He would say this to anyone who was smart or blessed, as he'd remind you if you were here. Um, If anyone was blessed enough to be graced by his his presence, um, he would say this, and he would say this to everyone. It didn't matter who you were, children, grandchildren, friends, foes, family, strangers. If you were smart or blessed enough to be graced with an audience, my grandpa, he would say this to you. Make sure your belly is full before you go over another man's house to eat. This happened so much when he was here that now nearly three de- or more than three decades after his passing, this is essentially what most of us remember about Grandpa. Um, this is what most of us remember. When you think about Grandpa, you have a story and it always ends with what? Make sure your belly's full before you go over another man's house to eat. Um, all these years later, we was at a wet- my mom's wedding a couple weeks ago, so we're sharing stories. And... All the stories we shared, um, even if they had nothing to do with each other, if it was about grandpa, it always ended with this. I remember my uncle Patrick, my mom's brother, um, talking about marriage and and, and this conversation he had with his dad about who to marry. And he had like the basic questions. Is she the one? Like, how do I know for sure? Am I doing the right thing? And his dad's answer was what? Make sure your belly is full before you go to another man's house to eat. Um, And I remembered actually a story I had back in the recess of my mind of about one time when I had an older cousin who would climb the trees and get mangoes for everyone except me. I remember being the youngest at the time, so I used my powers, and I went to Grandpa, and I was just like, Grandpa, he's being so mean and stingy, he won't even climb the mango tree and get me one. That guy right there, yeah, him, that guy, he won't do it, yeah? And I remember Grandpa saying, what? Make sure your belly is full before you go to another man's house to eat. This advice pretty much encompasses much of that side of my family tree. First of all, it was practical, wasn't it? Make sure your belly is full before you go to another man's house to eat. Like, there's nothing more practical than making sure you ate a little something, or in my grandpa's case, a lot of something, um, before going over a friend's house because, hey, you're not guaranteed that friend will have food for you. And even worse in my culture, you might not be guaranteed that the food's good. 
make sure your belly's full before you go to another man's house to eat. Or grandpa would eat his little something before he'd be on his way. But for our family, though, this wasn't just practical advice. It was also aspirational. Um, see, Grandpa wasn't just concerned about you getting your three square meals a day. No. Now, this advice was motivational. The core of what Grandpa believed was simply this, right? You were a Sambola. You were his kin. You were his family. With his blood in your veins, you being a Sambola then were blessed with all the skills, gifts, and abilities, all the mind, all the hands you will need to make sure your belly's full and not crying out for hungry, hunger. Make sure your belly is full before you go to another man's house to eat. You know, in this American culture, this advice might be akin to some mixture or weird combination of pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, um, add in a little action, speak louder than words, and then cover it with a watch pot never boils. By saying make sure your belly is full before you go to another man's house to eat, Grandpa was essentially saying this and teaching all of us this. You have the responsibility for you. You have the tools to provide for you and yours. Prove what you say by your actions. And basically, if you're just waiting, if you're just going to sit there and wait for something to happen, it's never going to happen. This is why Grandpa's advice really became not just our family proverb, but also the family ethos, really. Make sure your belly is full before you go to another man's house to eat. It's why my mom could know her calling was in education, but still owned real estate and property on the side. Though this could also be why my Uncle Patrick never really liked having bosses and never did well with bosses. See, Uncle always thought he had a better hustle or a better way of doing things, and that usually doesn't go well with the bosses. Even my dad, when he came into our family, he told his would-be father-in-law that he was a politician, that he was the change he wanted to see in the world. I can imagine him sitting there all distinguished and proud-like, too, saying, I'm going to bring so much change and good to Liberia, all proud and ready to go, like we tend to be, right? But the answer from Grandpa was what? Make sure your belly is full before you go to another man's house to eat. And the clear message was this, hey, son, Politics come and go, but more than that, you, you can come and go too. But if you want into this family, get you a job that pays, or at least some kind of income stream, because if you want to marry my daughter, you can't be here for handouts. Make sure your belly is full before you go to another man's house to eat. That was Grandpa's practical and aspirational advice. And all these years later, it's still very much the Sambola family proverb and ethos in many ways. Every family has these. We're all blessed with sages and oracles that we call Grandpa or Grandma, Auntie or Uncle, Father or Mother, Sister or Brother, Cousin or Friend. We all have these sages and oracles that pass on their truths, and then their proverbs become our family ethos that shape us. And as the ethos shape us, they continue to shape us. The sages and oracles may come and go, and they do, but their proverbs and truths seem to live on, don't they? So I guess my question for you this morning, the first question is simply this. What is your family ethos? What is your family ethos? What is the family truth or proverb that makes you, you? What was the truth that passed down to you and has been passed down in your family for generations now? Is there one guiding proverb or truth or teaching that has made you you? Is there? See, this is very important. It's important because it has shaped you. 
It's important because it has shaped your worldview and how you understand your place in this world, how you understand your plight in this world, and how you understand your work in this world. And yes, yes, it's very important because this morning, if you can remember that one family proverb or that one family ethos that was passed down to you this morning, if you can remember what your grandma or your auntie passed on to you, what your sister or your brother taught you, that truth that most shaped you, if you can remember that, or at least if you can remember how important it was in shaping who you are, if you can remember those family truths that have been passed down to you, if you can remember and appreciate those family truths that have been passed down to you, and now that even you have begun to pass down to the next generation, the next generation after that, if you can remember and appreciate that, then sisters and brothers, you can understand the proverbial truth of the Shema passed on from Yahweh God our Father to his first chosen people, the Jewish people of the Old Testament. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We'll also have the passage up front for you to follow along there as well. We'll be reading Deuteronomy chapter 6. In this passage, we find the Lord gifting his people a proverb that would grow into an ethos, a fundamental teaching that shaped and continued to shape Jewish people from antiquity until now. We'll be reading verses 4 through 6, Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Let us pray. Father God, teach us how to love you and help us to keep loving you with our whole heart. Holy Spirit, guide us and keep teaching us how to be a community that fully loves our good God. And Lord Jesus, our Christ, May we follow you now and always, now and always with our whole heart. Amen? Our passage this morning is what Jews from the beginning have called the Shema. It represents arguably the most important of all the Jewish prayers and has been this way for centuries. Also for generations upon generations now, this has been the first prayer learned by Jewish children. Some of the most religious Jews even today say the Shema three times a day as part of their regular prayers. The Shema is also included in almost every synagogue service. Our passage then this morning, it's easy to imagine how well known it was known by Jesus himself. This is a prayer that he would have been taught as a boy. It is a prayer that he would have grown up hearing in the synagogue, and it's a prayer that he would have been very, very comfortable saying as part of his regular prayers. Now, as good Christians and as faithful Anabaptists, we would be very familiar with that scene in the Gospels when the Sadducees and the Pharisees, faithful to tradition but blinded to God himself before them, sent forth one of their experts to quiz Jesus, the teacher and giver of all the law. You know, this is one of those scenes that still takes my breath away, to stand before Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, and then to try and stump him. And then again, aren't we all experts who need to be redeemed because we're too good at depending on ourselves and not our God? Aren't we all experts in need of forgiveness because we're too good on depending on who we are, what we do, what we know? Aren't we all experts who are too good at trying to prove something to Christ himself, aren't we? So the expert of the law is all set to test Jesus, you know, the God of everything. And to stump the Lord God, the expert asks, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? 
You know, this part of the story reminds me of when, as a child, you ask a parent a question that you're sure would stump them. Maybe it's something new you've discovered about the world, or maybe it's something you've learned in school, or nowadays, maybe it's something you found on the internet. And we all know the internet never lies. But yeah, the expert asking this question goes to Jesus and says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? This is akin to a child trying to stump a parent when a parent not only knows, but all but invented the answer. Here, imagine, I imagine Jesus looking at the so-called expert the way my grandpa would always knowingly look at me. Like he would look at me and say something like this, This is good, son. I'm glad that your brain decides to work every now and then. That was grandpa. It's love language. But yeah, experts ask, teacher, the expert asks, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. It was very good, right? Good answer, Jesus. Way to get it right. This is the answer every self-respecting Jew would have expected. And every rabbi with any sense, this is the answer they would give. When in doubt, you go with the Shema. It's like the equivalent of us in Sunday school growing up, some of us who grew up in Sunday school. When in doubt, the answer is probably what? Jesus, right? And then when you're not really sure, you want to hedge your badges, what do you go with? God, right? Eventually, you got to come back to God. So Jesus easily answers the expert of the law, but he's Jesus, and he's God of all everything. So, of course, he's going to take it and explain it one step further. And the next part of Jesus' answer is arguably the most profound thing he ever said while he was on this earth. That opinion is fully mine, and it's mostly right. So, yeah, Jesus says this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then to absolutely blow everyone's mind, Jesus, our Jesus adds this, and, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Pause. I don't think, I don't even think we understand the significance of that statement. I think it's become so familiar to us, we've never really thought about what it meant. Like, do you realize there were over 600 laws given to ancient Jews and that's if your rabbi was conservative, because 619 is about the low end of the estimate, right? So there were six, over 600 laws given to ancient Jews. And that doesn't even include the laws on top of those laws to protect, I guess, the people from not breaking the original laws that were created, all over 600 of them. Like, for example, don't work on the Sabbath. Seems pretty easy, right? But obviously it's too easy to say Sabbath is a day of rest. Sabbath is a chance to recharge. Sabbath is uh, most of all a day reserved to praise God and, and to enjoy God and give thanks for his blessings, right? That's all too easy. No. People don't even know what work is. So now we have to define work. We have to define what constitutes work and what doesn't. We have to tell them what they can do and what they can't do. How far they can walk. Right? And there's still some Jewish um, synagogues that practice this. People live in the neighborhood of the church because it's been defined how far they can walk before it counts as work. Right? How and what they must cook. There's some people who cook the night before for the next day. And how much energy they can exert before it becomes what? Work. Yes, this was back then and still is today a very imprisoning way to live. So when Jesus says, hey, listen, I'm not here for the laws on top of those original laws to protect, I guess, the people from not breaking the original laws that were created, all over 600 of them, I'm not here for that. This is an incredibly freeing act. But when Jesus says, 
of the 600 plus laws that actually that God that we gave to you of that 600 plus that God actually gave and that actually matter of that 600 plus all you really need is love God and love your neighbor this is mind-blowing This is earth-shattering. This is reality-destroying truth that everyone who had ears back then would be forced to face. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself is not just a good bumper sticker, and it is, right? It's even a better t-shirt if you sell them. Donate it to the church. But most importantly, love God and love your neighbor as yourself is a rewriting of the ancient Shema that God wants you, all of you. God wants all of your heart all of your skills, gifts, and abilities, all of your hopes and dreams, all of your desires and appetites. God wants all of you. God wants your heart. And God wants you to give all of you, your skills, gifts, and abilities, your hopes, your dreams, your desires, your appetites. This is the part we miss. We might remember God wants all of us and we try to work on that. But the part we miss is that God wants you to give all of you for the betterment, for the empowerment, for the exaltation of the other, your sister and brother. God wants you, all of you, yes. But God wants you, all of you, not for me, but for us. Not for me and mine, but for the church. Not for my glory, but for his glory. Not for what I dream about necessarily, but for his kingdom to come, for his will to be done. God wants you, all of you. But God always, always, always wants you and all of you to be given for his people. Amen? Love God and love others. Love God and love others. Love God and love others is the mind-blowing, earth-shattering, reality-destroying truth that everyone who had ears to hear, Jesus calls all of us to face. The closest I can get to explaining the significance of this statement in our current setting here in Harrisburg this morning is when someone tells me, you know, America is the single greatest hope for this world. And then I go, no, sister, that would be Jesus. Jesus. So please go. Go and release yourself from that lie that is from the pit of hell. Besides, don't believe in kings, believe in the kingdom. Amen? Another way to look at it is simply this. When a brother comes up to me and says, you know, I've been reading my Bible, and in the Bible, God chose the man to be the head of the house, the head of the church, and obviously the head of the world. I say, sit down, brother. Release yourself from that lie that's from the pit of hell. Open up your Bible. Learn some church history. But most of all, know that in the beginning when God created us men and women, He didn't create any inferiors. When God created us equal and in his image, he created us to be united as one together. And learn some Hebrew, brother, because when you read helper, you think she's your assistant. But when David says, I lift my eyes up to the mountains, where does my help come from? He's not calling for an assistant. God created us to be one. God created us to be equal. God has equipped all of us, men and women, to serve his kingdom, to make his kingdom come. So if you think you're the head of the house, sit down. Sit down. God calls us to submit to one another. Amen? Love God and love others. You know, Jesus changed the world forever with that proverb. And the beauty of it is that that has been the ethos of his church ever since going on thousands and thousands of years now. 
But, you know, I've actually been stuck not on what Scott McKnight popularizes the Jesus creed of love God and love others. No, I've been stuck on the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. You know, I may have started when I noticed that of all the verses in Scripture, the Shema is the one chosen by El Camino Academy where Zach works. That's the one he, they chose to put on the side of their building. That's the one they placed on their T-shirts. That's the motto that they try to put on the hearts of children and the families they educate. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. I may have continued as we met and worked with Marta Velasco, who serves in not one, not two, but three different Hogar de Paz, homes of peace in Bogota, homes and programs that are designed to keep kids off the streets, to provide not only academic but spiritual not academic help, but spiritual guidance and scriptural teaching as well, homes and programs designed to teach kids that they're not defined by their poverty and the slavery that it brings but that they're defined by the richness, by the freedom, by the love that comes from them being children of the king who owns a cattle on a thousand hills. And that plays in Bogota because everywhere you look, you see hills. And their father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. You know, it may have continued as we met sisters and brothers, children of our God, our father, La Jungla, a mission in the heart of one of Bogota's red light districts. La Jungla is a place where kids are not defined by what their mothers do or have done. They're not defined by what their fathers do or haven't done. La Jungla is a place where one person, the director there, has served for over 21 years, and now he can tell stories of triumph, now as a God, grandfather of sorts. Stories of triumph because he has seen God work. He has seen God move. Because he has seen generations of children and families change forever by the love and the power of God. Love the Lord your God with your whole heart. You know, it was certainly apparent at Hogar's Lucy Vida, the Light and Love Children's Home, where the greatest staff I have ever witnessed, outside, of course, our great staff and lay leaders here at Harrisburg BIC, but they came in a close second. But love God with all your heart was so apparent at Lucy Vida where that great staff cares for, makes a home for, and provides 24-hour medical care for severely handicapped children. Now, I still remember someone on our team sharing about how one blessed soul with no arms used their feet to help feed someone else. It took my breath away just hearing that story, and it still does. Love the Lord your God with your whole heart. Love the Lord your God with your whole heart. Love the Lord your God with your whole heart heart. The Shema was given for a reminder to the people that there is only one God and he is Yahweh, the one God who let them out of slavery in Egypt, the one God who provided them through the wilderness, and the one God who leads them into the promised land. And this morning we can hold on to the Shema because it reminds us that there is only one God and he's the one who leads us out of the slavery of sin. He's the one who leads us through the wilderness. And he's the one. And this is one of the most incredible things about God. And it humbles me to this day. But we have a God who's almighty. We have a God who's all powerful. We have a God who spoke the world into existence. We have a God who's moving in Bogota and Harrisburg. We have a God who's moving among billions of people in the world. But that same God is humble. That same God is humble enough to partner with you this morning to take your gifts, skills, and abilities, to take your hopes and dreams, to take your desires and appetites. That God is humble enough this morning to take you 
and make on earth as it is in heaven. To make his kingdom come. To make his will be done. As powerful as God is, he humbles himself because he wants to use you to love his world. Amen? The Shema reminded people that Yahweh was faithful to his promises. What God says he will do, he will do. Amen? And there's many testimonies in this room. There's many of us who can tell stories upon stories of God's faithfulness. So my simple question is this. Why aren't you telling those stories? Where are the people who need to hear those stories? God never blesses us for us. Amen? God never blesses you for you. If you have a story of God being faithful, you should be in the business of telling that story. If God has come through for you, you should be in the business of telling how God's come through. If God has shined his light in your life, if God has pulled you out of the darkness, pulled you up from the clay, set you on your feet, helped you to walk on water, if God is real to you this morning, you should be living to tell that story because our world needs to know. Love God with all your heart. Amen? The Shema reminded people that they belong to God and God made himself exclusively available to them. Another humble thing about God that that stumps me to this day is that every single one of us in this room, close our eyes or we don't want to close our eyes, we want to. But if we close our eyes, we can talk to the living God. Have you ever wondered how amazing that is? About how God who created everything, how God who died on the cross for our sins, our God who lives in billions of us, you can close your eyes. Right now, you have access to the Father. You have access to the Son. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. Have you ever thought about the beauty of that? That the God of this universe loves you. That the God of this universe lives in you. That the God of this universe is working in you. You have this exclusive path to the Father. Are you taking advantage of that? When's the last time you stopped to connect to God? The Shema reminded people that God desired and deserved their heart. Your skills, gifts, and abilities, your hopes, your dreams, your desires, your appetites. All of you, God wants all of you. God wants your heart. The Shema reminded people that God wants a total commitment from you and you and you. God wants your love for the entirety of your being, and to the fullest of your capabilities. God wants and deserves all of you. God wants and deserves your heart. You know, for some of us in this room, the word we needed to hear was that love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Perhaps we've gotten so focused on ourselves that we need to take a step back and recognize that we are blessed and equipped to serve the church and not ourselves. That we are blessed and equipped to bless others and not simply our own interests. God didn't give you all these blessings for you. And if that's what you believe, that's worshiping yourself and idolatry. And my Bible says that's a sin. Every single thing God's given to you doesn't just belong to him. And most of us do a good job of maybe admitting that. But every single thing God's given you, gifts, skills, abilities, thoughts, dreams, hopes, every single thing is for the church, is for the kingdom, is for the world. If it starts being for you, it's not about God. It's about you. That's sinful. That's idolatry. But everything belongs to God. Love God with your whole heart and then give all of yourself to him for your world. Amen? The Shema reminds us that God wants a total commitment from us for others. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. 
Perhaps for some of us this morning, the great takeaway is simply, how am I loving my neighbor as myself? You know, another one of those very wise people in the scriptures asked Jesus, wait, Jesus, Jesus, who is my neighbor? And again, this was the child trying to stump the parent, right? Well, I hope this morning you like the answer much more than that old wise one from way back then. Because Jesus seems to believe that your neighbor are the people in your everyday scenes, but especially the ones that society leaves behind. Your neighbors are the ones that you would rather easily hate. And you have to be reminded in the Old Testament and the New Testament, when the Bible talks about hate, it's not an emotional thing. Right? When God says, you know, Jacob, if I loved, Esau, if I hated, we've been debating this for 2,000 years, and we put on these Western goggles, and we're like, how can God hate people? Study some Hebrew, it might help. When God says love and hate in the Bible, it's always, what do I think highly of? Who do I live to exalt? Who do I live to exalt? So when God says, <laughs> you're called to, to love your neighbor as yourself, that means you're called to think of every single person as highly as God thinks of them. C.S. Lewis says, you know, if we were to stop and ask God for permission that we can see one another the way God sees us, we would be forced to stop and worship one another. And Lewis doesn't make that point because he wants us all to become idolaters and to worship one another. But he makes that point to point this simple thing out. Every single person is a child of God. Every single person is loved by God. Every single person has dignity from God. Every single person is deserving of all that is good and from God. And if you are calling yourself a Christian, but you hate and you don't think highly of every single person you meet, the ones who disagree with you, the one who vote differently than you, the one who is just really that annoying cousin that you can't get along with, every single person that you naturally hate, if you don't love them, you are not being like Christ. If you don't love them, here's the hard one, you do not deserve the name of Christ as a Christian. We're called to love, Amen. Your neighbor are the people in your everyday scenes, the one that society easily leaves behind, the one that you would rather easily hate, ignore, or don't think too highly of. You know, Jesus knew what we know. It's very easy to love those who love us, right? There's absolutely nothing special about loving the people who love you back. I tell the youth this all the time, man. If you had a friend who every single time you saw them, they gave you $100, you would love that person. And me, I'm smart. So every time I saw that person, I'd get a new $100. I'd be like, hey, how's it going? Hey, man, it's been two seconds. Hey, let's go this way. Do I get 200 this way? There is nothing special about loving those people who love you back. I mean, it's wonderful, and God bless you, but it's not special. And more than that, it is not Christ-like. That is a natural human thing to love those who love you back. What makes us Christian what makes us like Christ? What makes us the ones that, that Christ has died for and lift up and resurrect? What makes us the one who are answering to the spirit that lives within us is when we love our enemies. It's when we love and we love ourselves, the many that society leave behind. It's when we love the ones that we would rather naturally easily hate or ignore. When we love the ones that we don't think too highly of. So for some of us this morning, the message is simply do better. Do better at loving God. Do better at loving your neighbor as yourself. Do better, amen? 
You know, but I also believe there are some of us in this room who need to go back even a bit further. There are some of us in this room who need to take a step back from Jesus' creed of to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. We need to go back to the beginning. This morning, there are some of us who need to go back to the Shema. And for those of us here at this beginning, the question is simply this. Do you love God with all your heart? Do you love God with all your heart? Do you love God with all your heart? For those of us back at the beginning this morning, the question is, do you love God with all your heart? Do you love God with all your gifts, skills, and abilities he has blessed you with? If so, how are you saying thank you? Are you saying thank you at all anymore? For those of us at the beginning this morning, the question then is, do you love God with all your heart? The hopes and dreams he has blessed you with, are they for your glory or his? Are they for your house or his kingdom? For God's kingdom come and God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven or just for you to feel better about yourself? For those of us back at the beginning this morning, the question is this. Do you love God with all your heart, the desires and appetites he has blessed you with? Have you submitted them to God? Do you know best or does God? How does your life reflect any of this? Sisters and brothers, I don't leave you with answers, no. Now this morning I leave you with this burning question. Do you love God? Do you love God with your whole heart? Do you? Do you? Do you love God with your whole heart? And if you can't answer truthfully, the next question becomes why not? You know, sisters and brothers, our bellies might be full, but if it's with the things of this world, we will always, always, always miss out on what God has prepared for us. So do you love God? Do you love God with your whole heart? Do you love God with your whole heart? Before we sing our last song, I'd like to invite Shauna up. Um, we're going to be singing one of my favorite songs in the world. It's um, Oh Lord, You're Beautiful by Keith Green. And, and the reason I love this song is I think the version I, I got is the original version he wrote. And, and I love his introduction to it because he talks about how he's a songwriter. He writes praise songs. He loves God. And, and God was giving him nothing. You know, so he complained to God, like, God, this is literally my job. Like, I want to praise and worship you. Like, I need something, you know. And he says the first time he told people that, people look at him funny and just like, really, does God care that much for your little song, Keith? And he goes, God told me, yes, he does. You know, just like when my little daughter stubs her toe, I don't go, oh, man, we need world peace. No. My entire attention goes to her stubbed toe, right? And he says that's how God feels with all our little requests. And God blessed them with this song. So before we sing this song together, I want to, I want to share the words of, of this original words to the song. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes, if you will. Perhaps this morning the word you needed to hear was, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Or maybe you're in that other camp and you need to take a step back and check in with God and see where you stand with the Lord right now. Either way, with your heads bowed, with your eyes closed, with your hearts open, and your souls set in the hands of the Lord our God. Hear this prayer together from our brother Keith. Oh Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I seek. For when your eyes are on this child, your love abounds to me. Oh Lord, my body's tired. But you keep reminding me of many holy, tireless people who spilled their blood for thee. I want to take your word and shine it all around. But first, help me just to live it, Lord. And when I'm doing well, help me to never make a sound, except to give all the glory to you. Oh, Lord, my faith is small, and I need a touch from you. 
Your book of books lies undisturbed, and the prayers from me are too few. O Lord, please light the fire that once, bright, bright, once burned bright and clean. Replace the lamp of my first love that's fueled with holy fear. I want to take your word and shine it all around, but first help me just to live it, Lord. And if I'm doing good, please help me to never make a sound, except to give all the glory to you. Oh, Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I seek. For when your eyes are on this child, your faith abounds to me. Amen? Please stand as we sing this together. I'd like to invite the intercessors up. We will pray for you for anything. If you need to sit down and take a moment with God, please do that. But if you need prayer for anything you're struggling with or you need prayer because you say, God, I want to rediscover my first love. Or God, I want to reconnect with you. God, I want to give you my whole heart. Whatever it is you need prayer for, please come up. We would love to pray for you. Please join us in singing this wonderful song. Please light the fire. 
we thank you that you're indeed beautiful we're grateful this morning that you make us beautiful through the love of your son through the work of your son through the work of your spirit in us God help us this morning to give you all of ourselves all of our hopes and dreams all of our thoughts all of our appetites all of our gifts skills and abilities let it be used for your kingdom come for your will to be done God give us the blessing of humility so that we can submit all of ourselves to you to be molded, to become more and more like Christ, but to be for our brother and our sister, to uplift the people society leaves behind, to share your love with those who need it, to share your love with everyone in our everyday scenes. Uh, we thank you for the beginning of VBS this week and a chance for these young ones to be introduced to you and your love. Thank you for their parents who've blessed them, not just with the gift of life, but also the parents who've told them about you. But Lord, we pray for all the kids tonight that all of them can hear clearly, can feel strongly, and can know without a doubt that you're a God who loves them, that you're a God who works in them, that you're a God who desires great things for them. And God, your beautiful self, we pray that same prayer for all of us, that we may know undoubtedly, that we may feel very strongly that you're the God who loves us, that you're the God who loves us. So God, help us this day to give you our whole heart. Help us to give you our whole self. Help us to give you all of us. In your holy and precious name, Lord, we pray. Amen.